you have your testaments or your Bible, will you please find John's Gospel, chapter 2, and follow along as in a few moments I will begin reading at verse 13. John, chapter 2, verse 13. That about which I intend to speak tonight happened twice. At the beginning of his ministry, the Lord went into the temple and cleaned it up. Almost three and a half years later, he went back to the same place, to the same temple, and he cleaned it up the second time. What I'm going to read now describes the first visitation When I get to the other one, you'll know that you'll soon be on the way home. That's the end of it. John 2, beginning now at verse 13. And since I'm told this is a live radio broadcast, if there are people in homes uh, anywhere... It wouldn't be a bad idea if you reached for your Bible and your testament and check up on me and see if I'm speaking the truth. All right, verse 13, John 2. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep, and doves, and the changes of many sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep, and the oxen, and poured out the changes many, and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And the disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. For we shall never know just how often The Savior was angry. Call it righteous indignation if you will. I believe he was disturbed in his soul. He was angry. And that at which he looked every time he went to Jerusalem was enough to make anybody angry. The temple had become a stable. The house of worship had become a den of thieves. And we'll never know how often the Lord looked at it, wanted to do something and couldn't, because his hour had not yet come. But each time he turned away, he knew exactly what he would do when the time came. If he said that Caiaphas the high priest had uh, a band of inspectors. Every Jew who went 
to the temple, went and took a sacrifice. Now, if he were poor, he could take two turtle doves. If he were not so poor and could afford it, he could take a lamb. If he were a wealthy farmer, he could take oxen. The point was, it was no good taking an offering which was bought outside of the temple because the inspectors would turn it down. It is said that Caiaphas made three million dollars every year on the ill-gotten gains in that courtyard. No, look now. The only way by which you see this is for me to paint the picture. All right, you ready? Ah, never mind about Philadelphia Baptist Church. You can come back here when I finish this. Never mind you anything. Just sit and listen. Look now. Can you shut your eyes and see this? There's the temple courtyard. All up this side, a line of tables. Coins. Neatly stacked. And in behind each table, an old swindler. A crafty old money changer. Sitting there like a fat old spider waiting for a fly to come into the west. The other side, oxen tethered. Pardon my saying it, but you have to see the picture. This was supposed to be the temple. And the droppings, the manure all over the floor, and the stench was abominable. Now then, here's a young man coming in through the door. No automobiles, no trains. Let's say he had walked all the way from Syria. Well, to put it in our language, he's walked all the way down from Canada. See? There's a burning passion in his soul because for years he saved up his money in the hope of going to worship in the God of his father's house. He's coming in through the door. And this old money changer, out of the corner of his mouth, he spat a whisper. Here's one. Pay, play up and you'll get the next. The young fella has made inquiries out in the city. Uh, he's told that he can't buy an offering. It's not much good because in any case, he has to change his money into the money of the temple. Where can I do that? Oh, in the courtyard, there are money changes. They'll help you. And see, he's coming in. And as he comes to this old swindler, he says, Father, uh, is it right that you'll change my money? So I can buy a lamb? Oh, sure. Where do you come from? I, hey, I like the look of you. Hey, you're just like my own boy. Sure, I'll help you. Where's your home, son? Syria, Canada. Where? Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'll never get my money back. Things are bad up your way. Bad? Okay, when I was up there, you don't know, son. You've been on the way a long time. The economy is it's all gone to bits. Uh, I don't know. But I like you. Shame for you to come off. Hmm. I tell you what I'll do, boy. Only because I like you, mind. 
I'll give you 60 cents for every dollar. He said, what? 60 cents for every dollar? Huh. I only offer that because I like you. I'll bet you, boy, you go to the next changer, he'll only offer you 50. He knew he was being swindled, but what could he do? He lost on every shekel, every dollar, what have you. They robbed him. Then when he turned to go across the other side, the moment he turned his back, this old hypocrite gave the signal so that they would know he was another victim. And by the time they had finished with him, he wouldn't have cared two hoots if he never darkened the doors of God's house. Just a bunch of swindlers. It is said that you could buy a pair of turtle doves for 15 cents in the city. Where's the money? Because if you brought the turtle doves in, the inspector would lift the wings and find the fault and say, no good. He'd confiscate them and later in the day he'd sell them for $3.50. Now then, we will never know how often Jesus stood in the shadows and surveyed the sea. His nostrils quivered as he smelled the stench. He saw the filth on the floor, and with a heart beating fast, he turned away. But the day came when his hour had come. With purposeful tread, he went to the temple and stood watching. And then, heaving a great sigh, he stooped and picked up some cords, which perhaps had come off a packing case. He who had made the world had no difficulty making a whip. And the next moment, he was marching on those swindlers. They looked up expecting to find another victim. They saw the blazing anger in his eyes. They panicked. And boy, did they run for the door. And in the mad scramble, the tables went over. The coins rolled or slithered into the corners. And as fast as they went, he was after them. Even the little turtles have ceased cooing. They'd never seen anything like this. And so, it is written... That Jesus went up to the temple and he cleaned up the house of God. Now let's stop a minute. What is the true temple of God? Building like this? No. Westminster Abbey in London? No. Don't you know, ladies and gentlemen, that the temple of God is not made with timber and, and bricks and cement and stone? Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said, Don't you understand? Don't you know? You are the temple of God. And it's in the middle of your soul there God desires to dwell. Let me back up a minute. I'm told that when Adam was made, God came down and walked and talked with him in the garden. And you know, man was clean and good and wholesome. He was a joy. But something went wrong. Sin entered in. And the trouble today is the temple, the human temple, 
that should be clean and wonderful. It stinks. In this heart of mine, where God should dwell, there could be filth, lust. This mind of mine, where God should be the center of my thoughts, it can be filthy with dirty, filthy, rotten pictures hanging all around the walls. And the man that should be a joy to the heart of God is a pain in the neck. And listen, what is conversion? But the Lord Jesus Christ coming to the threshold of that human temple. He said God meant that this should be a place of worship. Look at it, it's a pigsty. And ladies and gentlemen, what is conversion? But Jesus stepping inside and making it clean. I get so disturbed. You know, they say when men get old, they get more tolerant and they put up with things. Well, I must be an oddball because the older I get, the madder I get. The things that are passed off for conversion these days, they drive me up the wall. I don't care how many churches you join. I don't care if you've joined this one and been baptized. Doesn't matter. I'm asking you, honest to God, did Jesus step into your life one day and make it clean? With the filthy, rotten, stinking things driven out of your little world? And instead he brought the peace of God beyond understanding? You can walk up an aisle, you can turn somersaults up the fool aisle if you want to. But if your name isn't in the Lamb's book of life, you're lost. If you've never flung wide the doors to say, Lord, come in and make me clean. I don't care what you do, you're lost. And it'll be a happy and a marvelous day in our country, America. If somehow God will send us a few dozen John Baptists and preach until we tremble. You think God is going to be hoodwinked when I say, Oh, but I went to church. You know the one who attends churches most of all? The devil himself. He never misses the service. He comes to cause trouble. Right? I remember the time, young man. I remember the time, father and mother, when I was a kid in a Welsh valley seated on the balcony of a Baptist church. And already young as I was, I was becoming aware that in my heart were all sorts of things that I would be better off without. And that night, now so long ago, Jesus came. And by the time he finished glory to God, my temple was clean. That's conversion. I don't know how long elapsed before what I'm about to describe happened. Hours? Mm, I think a bit longer than that. Um, two days? Well, really, I don't know. But I'll tell you what happened. One day, up the street came one of those old money changers who had been shot out, cast out. You know? He was like a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
And he came up to the door and he sort of peeped in, pulled out his beard and thought, ha, ha, I think I'll risk it. He went away, but he was back in a few minutes and he set up his table just inside the door, put his coins in order, put down his chair and sat on it. And it wasn't long before a priest passed by and he stopped it. He said, what, you? Back! I thought you'd been cast out. All right, he said, keep your hair on. It's all right. I've learned my lesson. Now then, the priest who should have had him by the back of the neck and the seat of the pants to throw him out, compromised. And the fellow said, you can't growl any, anyhow, Mr. Priest, because you get, you a share of the prophets, don't you? And the priest looked at him, but he said, I hope you'll behave yourself. The news went round the place like a bushfire, and before the day was out, they were all back. And before the week was out, it was again a stinking dirty stable. Now then, that is as neat a picture of backsliding as I've ever found. Any backsliders here tonight in church? Any backsliders away in your home? Maybe that's why you're not in church. You stepped on somebody's corns, you didn't see eye to eye with somebody. There was blood on the moon, the molehill became a mountain, so you don't go to church anymore. Right? Now where are you sitting? By a fireside, by a table, sitting on the couch, listening in bed. Where are you? Hey, listen. Did Jesus ever come to you and make you clean? And did he shoot out of your life all kinds of things, habits, lusts, ideas? And oh, you were on top of the world. Glory be to God. Hey, how long? Before the old devils came back up the street and got inside your temple again. Do you do now things you once condemned? Do you visit places now you would have been ashamed to have been seen darkening the doors not too long ago? You know, when a man gets saved, when a woman comes to know Christ, the devil doesn't go to South Africa for a vacation. Man, I wish he would. I'd pay his expenses. He'll wait and he'll watch. And suddenly, before you know what's happening, bingo, that old thing is back. You see, the Lord cleans the temple. But it's our job to keep it clean. At least, shall I break up the tension a bit? I'm a Welshman. When I lived in Wales, we began every year, every January with a week of prayer meetings. And we had an old boy, an old deacon, <laughs> in our church. We knew exactly what he would say before he said it. Because he prayed the same prayer every night. Really did. He'd start off in bottom gear. And then he'd soar. Oh, Lord! Sweep the cobwebs out of my temple. Well, that wasn't bad. 
The next night he'd say the same thing. See? Oh Lord, sweep the cobwebs out of my temple. And one night, toward the end of the week, in a whisper, we all heard, another old deacon looking through his fingers. When this guy said, Oh Lord, sweep the cobwebs out of my temple. The other guy said, Lord, don't take any notice of him. Kill the spider. <laughs> oh Lord, you can have all of me. But, but Lord, don't hurt that baby spider. I've had him since he was a little one in the cellar. And that's the thing that spoils our joy. That's the thing that cripples our churches. That's the thing that breaks the heart of God. Oh, nobody knows about that secret sin in my life. And as long as the pastor doesn't find out, I'm fine. Of course, the fact that God knows, well, that's, that's nothing. That's why some of the journalists not long ago used language that I didn't appreciate. One writer in the newspaper sarcastically wrote, Ha! These Christians? They're only playing at the God game. Shall I ask you a question, church members? All of us. What would God be able to do if he really possessed us? You've got buses out there. If the batteries were absolutely flat, how far would they travel? And how far will the church travel if all our batteries are stone cold? We shall never know what Jesus thought when he heard of what had happened in the temple. When he heard the filth had come back, the same old habit, and the one he'd made clean had gone back. We'll never know. Maybe we'll never know what he thinks of us if we are in that same hole. Lady, lady, honest before God. Are there things in your life that ought not to be there? Men, young people, have we permitted things to come back into the heart that Jesus once cleansed? Now, if my master had gone the other way as fast as he could go, nobody could have blamed him. Nobody. And if he left us, nobody could blame him. But see, he loves us. And it's hard to desert somebody you love. The day came. He went to the temple, stood in the shadows, and there was the mess before him. And he must have sighed and said, Dear, 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 nobody believe it that I once cleaned up this place. Nobody would believe it. Look at it. And then he said, Well, I cleaned it once and I guess I can have another go at it. So he made his little whip. I don't really think he used it. Because those guys hadn't forgotten the first visit. And they were in top gear as they went for the street. By and by with chest 
panting, shoulders rising and falling, he stood in the middle. By this time there were disciples, of course. And old Peter dug John in the ribs. Feather, what does that make you think of? He, look at him. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. The zeal of thine house hath consumed me. Look at him. And then it happened. Oh, brother. A door creaked. This is Matthew 21. And when the disciples turned their head to see what was happening, a fellow on crutches was half in, half out. See? And he was peeping around. Ah, that's good. It's okay, boy. He's there. He's there. I know, and I, I, I know you can't see, but it's all right. Put your hand on my shoulder, boy. I'll take you. Ready? And the lame man on his crutches came in, and in behind him came a blind. Ah, uh, think you better read it. Matthew 21. I'll read it for you. And then you won't, you know I'm not making it up. Listen to this. Verse 13 in Matthew 21, Jesus said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it the den of thieves. Now then, listen, listen to this one. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Can you see that? Can you see it? The disciples watching, Jesus waiting, and these two fellows coming from the door. Closer, closer, the blind man couldn't see a thing, he was just being led. Until, I guess he was a little bit embarrassed because, you know, the lame man knew he'd gone far enough, but his buddy didn't. So he said, that's, that's it, that's it, that's, that's the far enough boy, get down, get down. So, the blind man knelt, and the lame man knelt, and the voice of marvelous sweetness said, what is it you desire? And the lame man said, oh Lord, Lord, we heard you were in this temple, so we, um, uh, uh, we came to look for you. You see, you see, Lord, my buddy is blind, he can't see. And we both know, well, we believe it. You can give him sight. Yeah. And hey, Lord, if you don't mind, while well, you're at it, I'm in the home myself. I'm blind. I, I'm lame. And the first thing the blind fellow knew was that a hand came down on his face. And the voice of superb tenderness said, you know, ha, I'd love to do it. And ladies, it was as if somebody pulled a grape. And that blind fellow looked into the loveliest face in the world. He looked at his hands, he looked at the floor. He said, Lord, I can see. And the Lord smiled and said, well, I thought that's what he wanted. And by this time, I, I don't know what happened to the crutches. They'd gone. This fellow was dancing. Don't you see, men and women, that is the way God tries to teach us. That when we have enough sense in our heads to let him have his way in the temple, when he makes us what we ought to be, you don't stumble around in the darkness. The light of the glory of God will fill and flood your soul. Tell you something else. You don't have to depend, depend on this worldly crutch in order to make some headway. Whew, my life would be a misery if I couldn't rest on this. 
And you don't have to say, oh, well, see, I, I, I have to go there. Only bit of joy I ever get. Man, when Christ makes you clean, you walk in newness of life. And if you don't, you're haunted by memory. You might as well be dead anyhow. Uh, my first college was a Wash coal mine. I became a Christian and started to preach at 14 years of age. There was never any need for me to go down the coal pit because I won a scholarship for school and college that would have kept me in school until I was 20 and never have to pay a cent for a book or tuition. But what did I want to be in a school for? I wanted to be a man, wear long pants and smoke cigarettes. So down the pit I went, and my dad, who was the boss, said, All right, you make your bed and you lie on it. So he put me to work with the best man he had. But that fellow never got drunk because he could hold his liquor. And when he got mad, he could curse for half an hour and never say a word twice. And by this time, I was preaching. When the machines all stopped, you won't know this, but I'll explain. Down in the mines, halfway through the ship, we'd all stop, crawl out of the tunnels to have breakfast together. When they heard those devils, no, no, I don't apologize for the word. If I could think of a worse one, I'd use it. When those men who were moral citizens in the village, down there they were animals. And when they found out that young Ivor Powell, 16 years of age, was preaching the gospel, do you know the fun they had organized every mealtime? They told dirty stories about the mother of Jesus. How she had a baby before she got married. And all that junk. To make me look foolish. Didn't make me feel foolish. I wanted to pick up a big hammer and methodically brain the lot of them. And I would have enjoyed every killing. A developed backbone. If they gave me a dollar's worth, brother, they got five dollars worth back. If you were such a rotten Christian, you're overwhelmed and can't say a word for Jesus when you're amongst his enemies. Well, why come to church at all? You're no good anyhow. I'm sick of people who say they believe in the cross of Calvary and show them a drop of blood and they'll faint. One morning after a very heavy session, Breakfast over, we crawled into the tunnel. Theme of call in front of us. I was right at the top with an old man called Wyndham Phillips. Before we started work, he said, Son, I once loved your Savior. I said, What? Yes. I used to stand beside the piano in the prayer meeting and sing solos. I said, wait a minute. You sang solos in a prayer meeting? 
He never told any of those dirty stories, but I thought he was a bit scared lest I tell my father who was the boss. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You once loved the Lord. What happened to you? I, you might well ask. See, son, I played in the football team. We didn't have baths and showers. In this valley, son, the only showers were in the tavern. And the owner of the tavern sponsored our team. And because he paid the expenses, it was only fair that after the game we'd go back into his hotel, shower, free of charge, and then patronize him by buying drinks. I said, go on. Well, he said, I remember the first Saturday afternoon, they all wanted a beer or something stronger, and I asked for a lemonade. And the moment I asked, to a man, both teams turned and looked at me. And then they put up their hands so that they, I wouldn't see their smiles. And to put it bluntly, kid, I didn't have any guts. Next Saturday, I wasn't big enough to face that, so I asked for my first beer. One thing led to another. Down and down and down I slid until here I am. And then, with desperation in his voice, he said, Son, I'm not giving you soft soap. I'm telling you God's truth. The days I spent in my master's service were the happiest days of my life. And away he went to cut coal. But he wasn't quite fast enough because the light of my little pit lamp hanging from my belt as it shone up into his big face, I saw his eyes were full of tears. I don't know where you are, in the church or out of the church, but this I know. If you've ever known Christ and somehow you've gotten astray, you're as miserable as the devil can make you. You can fill yourself up with whiskey you can fill yourself up with drink to try and con quieten your conscience, but it's a fool's game. You can't do it. The peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet the memory still, but they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Hey, fella, you ever give your wife hell and turn your home into an inferno? Because you're so upset with things that's happening. Cool, couldn't be your fault, so you blame the missus. By the rivers of Babylon, said the psalmist, we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. They asked us to sing a song of Zion. We can't sing in this hole. We've lost our happiness. And so we hang our harps in the willows. Aren't you like that? He cleaned the temple. The custodians let it rot and didn't keep it clean. 
but he came back because he wanted to make it clean the second time. And ladies and gentlemen, that could be the reason why you are feeling awfully uncomfortable just now. You can almost hear his footsteps at the door of your heart. You know I'm speaking the truth, don't you? With this I'll finish. I, I, I was told that this broadcast is for seven o'clock. Ladies and gentlemen, I've taken my glasses off so I can't see the clock. <laughs> They'll cut me off, it'll be all right. Um, if the people outside are listening, they can come back tomorrow, but I'm sure of you, right? I was in New Zealand. Packed house. Well, I was, I was the national evangelist for the Baptist Church. First Baptist Church in Wellington, packed to capacity, and I was preaching about Simon Peter, who said, Lord, you don't have to bother your head about me. Simon Peter never failed anybody, and he sure won't start on you. Let me tell you the truth, and Lord, you listen well. Don't say I'll deny you. I'll go with thee to prison and death, if need be. But Simon Peter never let anybody down, and he won't start now. You know. And he made a mess of things. People who talk like that generally do. When you know your weakness, you cling to his hand. But when you're so high and mighty you can do anything, you're as weak as ditch water. Suddenly the cock started crowing. And Peter remembered, and he turned to look, and at the same moment the Lord looked. Now, if I'd been the leader of that party, boy, oh boy, my eyes would be pools of anger, my words a throw of molten lava from my volcanic soul, I would have said, you rotten, you never let anybody down. Ah, uh, the Lord had more brains. He looked at Peter, not with a look of anger, but pity. And that love broke Peter to bits. Yeah. Now, I, I was describing this, see, and I was swept, honest, I was swept off my feet by what I was saying. So that smack in the middle of the message I said, Oh, man, can't you respond to a love like that? And the man halfway up the crowded church jumped up and yelled, Yes, mister, I will. And he was on his way up the aisle. Now, I dealt with all the converts in those days. And I wasn't ready for the fellow. I was only halfway through my sermon, you know. So here he's coming. I said, go in there and wait for me. I never finished a sermon so fast in all my life. When I got in there, oh, this big man, tears were rolling. He'd left his wife because he had found attraction in another woman. He was going to enjoy sweet grapes of pleasure, but somehow they tasted as if they were poison. But he'd made a mess of his life. He said, sir, when you said, can't you respond to a love like that? He said, I couldn't hold out anymore. We got down on our knees together and that fellow made a new start. 
I watched him night after night, and I wanted to talk to him and couldn't. People wanted to get saved, and I was busy. But one night I thought, let somebody else lead these people to Christ. I'm going to talk to that man, whatever happens. So I made a beeline for where he was, seated next to his wife. And I wanted to get the woman, not the man. And mercifully, somebody behind him tapped him on the shoulder, and he turned round. And in that split second, I said, lady, how are things? And the tears started running. She said, oh, sir, it's so wonderful now. So wonderful now. Oh, can I tell you another? There's nothing good on television, any of you listening. Oh, boy. Tent Hall, Glasgow, I was preaching to, ah, 2,500. I preached, gave the invitation, and a woman. I, I don't like saying she was fat. She was well upholstered. <laughs> She had a shawl, or a, 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 she had a dress, no, no sleeve, but a shawl, only typically Scottish. I saw her hang, hand work. Well, she came with others, and I led her to Christ. And Jimmy Haxton, who was the minister in that place, he said, Brother, if we don't get any more, if she sticks, these meetings will be worth it. I said, if she sticks, any doubt about it? You don't understand. Every weekend for the last three months, she spent it in jail. Well, he said in clink, which is a Scottish word for prison. He said, see, Ivor, when she's sober, she's marvelous. But when she's drunk, look out. She gets paid every Friday. She celebrates by getting blind drunk. And when she's drunk, she had a special hobby with her great big fist. She goes down the street punching in every plate glass shop window. The police know she's going to do it, but she picks a new district each week, and she's done it before they catch her. If she sticks, and we get nobody else, <laughs> it'll be worth it. I guess he's Scared the daylights out of me, so I went home and prayed six times as much for her as I would have. I watched her every night for a week. Oh, she was something else. She'd have made a marvelous wife for Goliath. She was so big. <laughs> and I wanted to talk to her, and I couldn't. Until the next Saturday, I said, Jimmy, you talk to Converse. I must see her. We were 2,500 2,500 people there. And it took me a long time to get from where I was to where she was. But I, I was like a salmon swimming upstream, you know. I got there. But when I arrived, there was a little old granny. Uh, maybe up to my shoulder, but me, maybe even shorter. She was dressed beautifully. And I, I was in a hurry, see, pushing through the crowd, and I was still thinking of these converts, so I, I came in, zoom, and this little old girl, she looked up at me, she said, hey, I'm the one to talk to you.
friends, I had lost my honor. I was as low as any woman could possibly go and a sight lower than most would ever go. I was down, down, down. And guess what? Jesus came and rescued me. Jesus came and sat on the bench with me and I got saved. She said, look at me now. I've just been telling my big sister. I've just been telling my big sister. If he could do that for me, poof, she's child's play. I put my arm around her shoulder, gave her a great big hug. I said, hey, mother, I've just found out something. What's that, boy? I don't know a thing about it. You were the one to talk to him. Ah, man. Backslider, if you've gotten cold, if you've lost your vision and you're in a mess, hey, can I recommend Jesus? He'd love to clean your temple. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.